Welcome to the Security in Color podcast. I'm your host, Dominique West, and each Tuesday, I will bring you the latest and greatest in cybersecurity news, tips, and career guidance. Let's see what's new for this week. Welcome to another episode of Security in Color. So happy you tuned in. My name is Dominique, and if this is your first episode, welcome to the community. If you are a returning listener, a welcome back. Glad to have you. I hope you had a great vitamin D-filled weekend. I personally went for a hike with my mom and made the mistake of waking up way too late. (laughs) The sun was super hot out, but the views were so worth it. It was so nice being on top of the mountain. Um, And I just know better. I'm trying to be this outdoors person and I can't wake up late during the summer if I want to be that kind of person. (laughs) I like to sleep in, but I also, you know, just want to go outside and like explore and do what I can safely, of course. Um, But it's hard to do that when it's already like 110 degrees by 9 a.m. So (laughs) I have to be out bright and early. (laughs) We are approaching August I cannot believe we are already in the second half of 2020. I, for one, am, can't wait to see like what the history books are going to look like in the future. Because, you know, growing up, I heard my grandparents and my grandma, even my mom, like they had to walk in like 10 feet of snow and walk 50 miles to go to school or whatever kind of hardships that they had to go through as a child and how I have it easy, which I'm sure to some degree. Um, But I, for one, get like, now I have a story. We all have a story. We can say that we are surviving and hopefully at the other end of this have survived once we get to post-COVID or whatever that might look like and can say we survived a -a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic and my future grandkids are never going to hear the end of it, like, at all. I'm going to hear all this time. Like, come here, grandbaby. Let me let me tell you a story. Do you remember that time back in? I'm not going to get that deep into it, but <laughs> that's definitely going to be me. I am going to be that grandmother. On another note, for those of you who are interested in cloud security, CompTIA has released their beta exam for their cloud plus like cloud agnostic exam they had version two and now this is version three that's released it's in beta it is fifty dollars and if you successfully pass you know you get a really nice uh certification that's cheap (laughs) because you know typically these exams i think when i look the security plus exam currently is running like 350 so to get this certification exam for 50 bucks is a pretty good deal The only caveat is you will not know if you passed until next year. And I think like April of next year. So it will be a long time. But if you pass, you know, hey, you got you got your first certification for 2021. Um, I plan on taking the test. So to kind of keep myself and other people accountable, I plan on doing a five-week study group going over a question in each domain. There are five domains, so each week I'll just have a set of questions pertaining to that particular domain for that week. 
And if you're interested, um, I have a couple of spots to laugh. If, you ha- if you're interested, I will put the link in the show notes under additional information. And you'll see it says, it'll say Cloud Plus Study Group, like sign up here kind of thing. Um, sign up there. I'm sending out information this week. If you can't make the first week, that's not a problem. You can always make the second week. Just go ahead and reach out to me um, and email me. I'll leave that also in the show notes. Um, we start this week, um, this Wednesday, July 29th. But Again, you can join at any time and I'll be sending out information that will be via Zoom and it'll take place each Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, just so that way, you know, people who are in Pacific Standard Time, it'll kind of be a little bit of their end of day um, and not too late for those for of us on the East Coast. Um, and if you want first dibs on information like these study groups, you know, jobs in cyber and cloud, consider joining the Security and Color Patreon community. Every supporter helps me be able to kind of bring you really good, great, quality, consistent content. Um, I'm hoping to secure at least 25 Patreons um, so I can get some better equipment and some other stuff that I have in store. And if you're, you know, if, if you're unable to contribute monetarily, I I completely monetarily. What is that? That's not a word. If you are if you are unable to contribute financially, um, by all means, you can support in other ways like engaging with us on social media, sharing with your network, or even while you're listening, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave us a rating and a comment that really helps us with our engagement on the platform and helps bring us to the top or bring us up in the rankings when it comes to Apple Podcasts homepage, which would be super awesome if we can get to. Okay, let's jump into today's episode. Today's episode features two data breaches from GED Match and Garmin, some new and evolving malware targeting macOSs, a report on the rise in email account takeover, and some tips on how to ace interviews over Zoom during a pandemic. Let's jump into today's episode. There are many DNA kits out there that aim to serve a variety of purposes. Ancestry DNA, 23andMe, and MyHeritage are three that come to mind where individuals can take a sample swab, send it to a lab, and possibly be matched with distant family members or perhaps learn their ancestry. Now, while the intent is somewhat commendable, DNA kits also unearth a ton of valid controversial and controversial questions from security and privacy professionals, such as who will have access to our DNA and how is it being stored? Well, one such company, GED Match, is currently under fire for being the latest victim of not one, but two back-to-back breaches that reset user profiles and suddenly made all DNA profiles available to law enforcement searches and public viewing. In a statement by the company, it told its users it was hit by two security breaches on July 19th and 20th. As a result of the breach, all user permissions were reset, making all profiles visible to users for approximately three hours. Now, during this time, users who did not opt in for law enforcement matching were also made available. The website was taken offline for a while, and the company confirmed that it had not received or responded to any law enforcement requests during the breach. But further information regarding the incident or how searches can be ducted have been released. Though no official request came through, 
If profiles were visible to everyone during those three hours, anyone, including law enforcement, could capture and do what they want with that information. Now, what information is visible on profiles and how they track it and alert people if, you know, if things were accessed are questions that they will need to answer. And I'm pretty sure that there are much more, many more questions for them to answer in the upcoming weeks as they continue their investigation. In the meanwhile, I highly recommend for any of you listening that have or plan to utilize DNA kits, please check the company policies to understand their security controls and even understand how they are protecting your DNA and digital data. Ask, hey, if I have already uploaded my profile, how can I remove it? Understand what happens once you let go of your data. How is that controlled? Do you still have access over it? Do you have control over it? Can you delete it at any time? Is there a process? Is there a waiting period? Like there are a bunch of questions that should go, that should be asked before you go ahead and kind of do the swab and send in your DNA because things like this can happen where you don't understand how it's being used, how law enforcement is using it, can they, did you consent to it? Like, do you have to consent? Or is you automatically giving over your DNA? Are they counting that as an automatic consent? All of these are valid questions and definitely ones that you want to ask. If you, again, have already participated or plan to, definitely call them up and ask, what is the deal? Garmin, the maker of the popular fitness trackers and smart devices, is the latest company to have suffered from a recent ransomware attack and is being asked to pay $10 million to free its systems. Last Thursday, the company was dealing with a massive service disruption on their website and phone system. When you went to the website, Garmin.com, a screen with an apology pops up about an outage in all of their phone, email, and chat services were also offline. Now, at first, the company tweeted out a message saying some of their services were unavailable due to maintenance. But after being under maintenance for over 12 hours, many began to speculate that something else was at play. An unconfirmed report by a Taiwanese news site claimed that Garmin IT staff were sent an internal memo warning that company servers had been compromised and the ransomware strain, Wester Locker, was to be blamed. Now, the Wasted Locker ransomware is a fairly new strain being attributed to a group called Evil Corp that has previously targeted U.S. companies, companies with the aim to take down and inflict harm. The difference seen by security researchers at Malwarebytes between this strain of ransomware and others is that this one seems to be highly targeted, meaning they believe that the hacker group created a tailor-made, customized ransomware variant specifically to target Garmin. Now, usually, customized malware is done after an initial breach, because the attackers would first, you know, gather intelligence, gather more information about their target, and then unleash a more dangerous form of malware to inflict maximum damage. Now, no other information has been said whether or not they've had a first breach, but Garmin has since confirmed this current breach, stating that a cyber attack encrypted some of their systems on July 23rd, and they are still access assessing the impact. 
While not your average news report, I wanted to highlight a security report released by Barracuda, a leading company specializing in security, application delivery, and data protection solutions. Recently, they released key findings about the way cybercriminals are attacking and exploiting email accounts. Email account takeover is a topic I've spoken about before and wanted to get a little bit more in-depth with this segment, especially as attackers are looking to take better advantage of users who are still working from home. Now, email account takeover occurs when an attacker gains access to a legitimate user account through valid credentials. Attackers can get these valid credentials from things like data breaches sold on the internet. On the dark web, there are tons of forums in which attackers can purchase a list of hacked credentials so they can further exploit a company. A very common reason why these types of attacks are successful is because of password reuse. I've spoken about previous reports that stated that 75% of users do not change their passwords often enough, and most don't even do so after hearing about being exposed in a breach. Password reuse allows a hacker to log into an email account legitimately and figure out what to do next. Here are some eye-opening highlights from the report regarding email account takeover. More than one-third of the hijacked accounts analyzed by researchers had attackers dwelling in the account for more than one week. And 31% of those compromised, one set of attackers focused on compromising accounts, and then they sell account access to another set of cybercriminals who focus on monetizing the hijacked accounts. And lastly, 78% of attackers did not access any applications outside of email. Now, while that last one, 78%, seems like a really good number in which attackers didn't access any applications outside of email, it does emphasize that cybercriminals are getting stealthier and are finding new ways to remain undetected in compromised accounts for long periods of time so they can maximize the ways they can exploit the account, whether that means selling credentials or using them to access themselves. Being informed about the way an attacker behaves will help organizations put the proper protections in place so they can defend against these type of attacks and respond quickly if an account is compromised. For the longest, there has been this myth that Mac computers were safe from malware, and while the details of the software might have taken a bit longer for attackers to find a way to get its victims, this myth is no longer the case as cases in Mac OS malware is currently on the rise. In particular, there is one strain of malware called ThiefQuest that has been evolving quickly in order to attack more Mac computers. Now, first observed this past June, the malware ThiefQuest first started off as a backdoor. A backdoor is a type of malware that aims to circumvent normal authentication procedures in order to gain access to a system. For example, let's say you own a website that has an outdated plugin that hasn't been updated. Attackers can exploit vulnerabilities in this plugin in order to bypass security controls and gain access to the back end of your website. And your back end may contain sensitive data, like a database of personal identifiable information of your customers. Backdoors aren't good, and attackers are really trying to use this to gain access into Mac OS's computers. Now, back to ThiefQuest. 
So ThiefQuest started out as a backdoor and later evolved to include file exfiltration capabilities, meaning it can take files from your computer and send it to attackers. Then it evolved to include ransomware behavior, meaning if the malware is installed, it can encrypt your file in exchange for a ransom, as seen in our last segment. Now, while this strain is still new and being researched in terms of its capabilities to inflict harm on victims, it is the latest development in which attackers are finding more and more ways to infect macOS computers. It is important to be just as vigilant navigating and downloading from the internet on a Mac than it is a Windows computer. There are antivirus software out there for macOS and is highly encouraged to invest in one. Interviewing can be pretty nerve-wracking for candidates, and doing an interview at home is no different. Now, whilst we are all at home and we are pretty accepting about, you know, interruptions from our dogs, our cats, our kids, nevertheless, interviewing for a new job still requires work and preparation. Doing interviews virtually requires a bit more, and I have some tips for you to help you ace that next job interview. My first advice is around researching the company. I have family and friends who are recruiters, and very often they tell me sometimes about candidates who, you know, they're just not prepared or they don't know about the job or the company they're interviewing for. Now, while this research should be done before applying, making sure you take time to learn things like company values and their products and services before the interview is key. Make sure they are a good fit for you as they evaluate if you are a good fit for them. Second, plan your attire. Now, working from home, we have it a bit easier. We just need to look good from the top up or like from the neck up, chest up. (laughs) But it's best to be safe than sorry. And just make sure you have appropriate pants on too. (laughs) It's still expected for you to look professional, though maybe not required to be 100% dolled up to a T. Especially since virtually a lot of shirt patterns and colors don't do really well on Zoom. Try to avoid busy patterns and loud jewelry. Make sure you have adequate enough lighting, especially if you have to turn your camera on. Try to sit facing a window rather than away from it to avoid glares. My third tip is to have some prepared questions for the interviewer. Some of these questions can come from research you've done on company from tip one, but have at least three questions minimum to ask at the end of each of your interviews. Questions can be about the company, they can be about the role, or even about the person who's interviewing you. Examples of good questions are, can you describe your experience with the company? Can you describe the company culture? And what are the expectations set for the first 90 days in this role? And my last tip is to test your technology in advance. By now, if you've been on Zoom calls or any other kind of virtual conferencing, you already know something is bound to happen. Audio issues, camera issues, headphone issues, you name it, (laughs) it has happened. Try to avoid or at least be preemptive with this by testing your equipment way in advance of the interview. Set up a test call with a family member or friend and make sure all of your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. That way, your interview can run smoothly. 
And that's a wrap for today's episode. If you enjoyed what you hear, please leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. For more content and information, visit our website. And for extra bonus content, consider joining our Patreon. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode. Please consider leaving a rating or comment in Apple Podcasts. And for more information, go to our website at www.securityincolor.com. Be sure to engage with me on social media or write me to be a part of future episodes. Take care.